Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Welcome, welcome to Harbor Church. If this is your first time here, um, man, you're in for it. Uh, my name is Josh. I am the, the lead pastor at Harbor. Everybody that's watching online, welcome to you as well. Thanks for doing that. I know you. Uh, we've got a lot of people tuning in on Facebook and uh, YouTube, and even people listen to this on the podcast. Man, you guys could do anything with your time, and you're choosing to tune in to see what it is that God might have for you. And I'm excited about this weekend's message. We are concluding a series that we called Hello, My Name Is, and we have done this uh, this study of all these different people. We studied Moses the very first week, and we saw that Moses wouldn't go anywhere without God. And would we, would we be that kind of person that we would have that same thing? And then we looked from Moses to a woman named Lydia who leveraged her entire business, not to make herself better or wealthier, but to make Jesus known. And then we saw Esther, who in the face of all kinds of obstacles, and all kinds of, of, uh, of personal uh, attacks or a chance for her to personally die, she, she willingly sell, became self-sacrificing instead of self-preserving and went out and went, went and tried to help other people. And then we saw Joseph, who had been done wrong, and instead of returning wrong for more wrong, he was forgiving and gracious. And then last week we looked at Jerry, uh, Jairus, I call him Jairus sometimes, Jairus, who, uh, man, he he recognized that God's timing was perfect, no matter how he felt about it. And so I loved all of those. And I've been challenging you to look at all these different people. And if you haven't heard any of those messages, uh, you can go back and listen to them um, or check those out later. But all of those people, when we studied them, for me, it was hard because I was like, I don't do this. These people are really good people. And they remind me that I am not and how much I struggle and I hate it. So today we're going to flip the script. <laughs> we're going to look at somebody that sucks. <laughs> and then we're going to make ourselves feel better about it. We're like, all right. Except for the fact that when I look at all of the people I mentioned, I was like, oh, I'm nothing like them. And then when I look at somebody that sucks, I'm like, I'm a lot like that. <laughs> so it hurts both ways. And I'm excited for us to look into it. Now, maybe you've never heard of the story of Balaam before. Balaam is most known for having a donkey, all right? Uh, in your Bible, if you have an old school Bible, it probably says Balaam's ass or Balaam and the, uh, the uh, journey with his donkey or something along those lines. But long, long before we ever even get to that part that he's known for, he actually takes up a couple different chapters in the book of Numbers. And uh, it's just surprising to me that we don't have a lot on him. We don't hear a lot about him. Um, let's go to the beginning of chapter 22, and I've never done this before, so I'm going to try to, I'm really not going to preach that much tonight. This is more of a teaching um, this weekend for all the services. It's going to be a little bit more um, just kind of going through a lot of the things that, that Balaam teaches us, but I'm going to try to do the whole chapter. <laughs> so hang with me and uh, just take a lot of notes, all right? So it's not like, this isn't like a typical message where I give you three main points or something like that. I'm going to just give you all the things that, that kind of stood out to me that I felt like God might have for our church. And here's the reason I think you should take notes, even if you're watching online. Uh, some of the stuff, uh, some of the things you, you're like, ah, it doesn't really apply to where I'm at in my life right now. Cool. I think there's definitely something that Bible, the Bible says that God's word won't return void. So there's something for all of us. 
Um, but if you take notes, there might be something that is said this weekend that doesn't apply to your life. But when you go back a couple months from now, you're in a different season. You're like, wow, that hits different. So uh, just let me encourage you with that. Let's start this in chapter 22, which is where the story begins. And if you're not familiar with what's happening at this point in the Bible, the children of Israel is this group of people that have uh, been set free from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and they're, the, God is taking them out of captivity. He's taking them into the promised land, but they... they don't really respond. They have a lot of fear about going into the promised land. So God makes them wander the wilderness. And now they're coming to the end of that, that wandering around and God is bringing them in, getting ready to bring them into the promised land. And he's allowed them to have a few victories, a few early victories over some, uh, some of the Canaanites and different ites that you find um, in, in the area. So they're, they're, they're racking up some wins. And it says this at the beginning of chapter 22, then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab, and they camped east, or they camped uh, to the east of the Jordan River, across from Jericho. You might know the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. So this is all pre that they haven't gotten into the Promised Land yet. They haven't really started invading, doing all that yet. But um, if you read chapter twenty-one, you'll see that they've had a few small battles and some wins there. Um, but it says that they. They camp in the territory of this guy named uh, Balak. He's the son of Zippor, as verse number two says. He's the king. He's a Moabite king. <laughs> and he had seen everything that the Israelites did to the Amorites. That's one of the groups they had just beaten. And so in verse three, when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. And the king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, this mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. And then it goes on and, and it gets us the plan of Moab or of, um, of Balak to, to kind of get rid of the Israelites. And this is where we're getting ready to get introduced to Balaam. But the start of it, it all the whole reason for Balaam getting brought in is this king and uh, his name is Balak. He's king of the Moabites and he sees this Israelite nation coming to his area and he assumes man, they're going to they're gonna take mine. He, said, he uses the phrase when he talks to the other leaders, this mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. They're going to come take all of ours. They're going to come take from us. And he gets real nervous real fast. Now, I'm not preaching on him, but I, I want to show you something. I want to show you something that God actually said about Moab and the Moabites in Deuteronomy chapter 2. In Deuteronomy 2, verse 9, the Lord warned us, this is Moses writing here, the Lord warned us, don't bother the Moabites, the descendants of Lot. Now, Abraham, if you go all the way back to Abraham, who was the forefather of all the Hebrews, his nephew was Lot. So the, the Israelites are long-distance cousins, removed many times, uh, from the Moabites. And God said, don't bother the Moabites, the descendants of Lot, or start a war with them. I have given them are as their property and will not give you any of their land. This whole story that we're about to read comes from Balak being all nervous that the Israelites were going to take something from him. And if he took the time to investigate God's word, he'd find out that he had nothing to worry about. 
I just noticed this whole thing. And there's three more chapters of this. And he's so worked up. He's so mad. He's so scared. I feel like fear creeps into our lives. And it, it, it makes us nervous. It makes us insecure. It makes us doubt people. That insecurity of like, I'm not going to have enough for me. I'm not going to get mine. I'm not going to be happy now that you're here. Did a new person get hired? Did somebody else join the basketball team? Did whatever, fill in the blank. A new friend get added to your circle. All of a sudden, your insecurity, your fear, it creeps up. And what it does, insecurity creates enemies out of allies. See, he had no reason. The Moabites had no reason to fear the Israelites. God had actually said, nothing bad is going to happen here. But he immediately jumped because of his insecurity and he took the best thing that God had ever brought to the promised land. He took the best thing and turned it into an enemy. And I, I think if we could learn anything before we even jump into the story, it would be when we feel fear creeping in and insecurity and doubt, why don't we go to God instead of going around going, oh, what am I losing here? What is this going to cost me? And maybe we get somewhere else. All right. Thank you. Two people with me. All right. Let's jump back in the story. What does Balak do with all that insecurity? It says, he sent messengers in verse 5. King, king of Moab sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor. That's a weird name, but whatever. Who was living in his native land of Pethor near the Euphrates River. And his message said this. Look, Balaam, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they're threatening me. Slight exaggeration. Please come and curse these people for me, because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I'll be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people that you bless, Balaam, and curses fall on people that you curse. Now, Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, they set out with money to pay Balaam to place a curse upon Israel. They went to Balaam and they delivered Balak's message to him. All right. I'm not going to, I'm going to stay there for just a second. These guys show up with money to get Balaam to curse the Israelites. Now, here's what's weird Balaam is not a Hebrew, Balaam is not an Israelite but he knows the one true God. And because he knows the one true God, he, has, he is known as being a prophet, a man of God. The people he curses are cursed. The people he blesses are blessed. This is very rare, just so you guys understand. It's very rare to find somebody like this in the Old Testament. He's, he's much like Melchizedek or Jethro. There's very few people who were not uh, Israelites or Hebrews that had a relationship with the one true God, but, and we don't know, maybe his great, 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 great grandfather worked alongside Jacob when he worked for Laban or something, and he heard all about this one true God and passed that. And we don't know how Balaam came to know the one true God, but he did. And he had grown in fame, if you will, for having a faith. Now, what I found unique is that Balak, in the middle of all this, Balak knew that the source of the Israelites' power was something divine. Even in the middle of it, he's like, there is something with these people. There's some force, some supernatural force on their lives, and I can't touch them. So he figured, I, maybe I can get to the source of their power and attack the source of their power on a supernatural level, on a divine level. Let me get somebody 
who knows something about God and see if he'll put a curse on these people. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites. Now, Balaam follows the one true God. The one true God is the one that released the Israelites from Egyptian slavery and is the one that's actively bringing them in to Canaan. So it's a very weird story, and it's just, it's just tucked away in the Old Testament and very rarely talked about. We're going to go hire this prophet to curse God's people. I love it. It's just a cool story. All right? So we, we see that, and, and I'm looking at him I'm looking at him think through this process and reach out to a guy who knows God. And the first thing he does is he brings him money and says, whatever it is that God's doing in your life, is it for sale? That's what's happening here. Whatever it is you got, I don't have the God you've got, but is the God you got for sale? And says, if you read other versions, it says they bring the diviner's fee. There was money that you would pay somebody who worked in the supernatural, and they brought some money saying, hey, Balaam, are your services up for grabs? See, what they didn't understand was God does whatever God wants to do. Balaam can't do anything without God. Now, Balaam knows that, and hence you'll see the struggle. But this is like the perfect message for church people. Because this is the guy in the middle of a whole bunch of people that don't know anything about God. This is the person who knows about God. And yet we kind of get an insight into how Balaam handles it. He sends messengers in verse 7, and they come with all that money. And verse 8 is his reply. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. Anybody? Um, am I for sale? Let me think about that. That, that is, you might, well, he didn't give him an answer. Oh, he kind of did. He's like, hey, hey, are you willing to compromise your morals? Let's sleep on it. I think that's an answer right there. See, I, I, this is the whole story of Balaam. This is really it. This is the story of Balaam. He, he entertains things he should not entertain. He's willing, he flirts with sin because he's like, let me see what I can get away with. This is the first compromise right here. He knows that, his, he knows that what he has comes from God. And so it's not for sale. And yet he's like, let's just see what God says about it. Let's just leave that money on the table. <laughs> you guys take a nap. Let me pray about it, okay? You know, let me, let me think about it. See, it's a compromise. It's just a small thing, though, right? Now, listen. Listen, spiritual person, church person, man of God, woman of God. He doesn't sin. That's not sin, right? He didn't, he didn't do the curse, right? I mean, if we're Balaam and we're Balaam, I know, oh, no, I'm Esther. <laughs> no, you're Balaam. <laughs> Okay, you're Balaam. See, what we do is we justify, well, I'm not, I, I didn't do the curse. I, we, I, I'm okay. And so we compromise. Now, what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, is it says, give no foothold to the devil. 
you can't compromise a little bit. And you're like, it's just a little bit. It's not going to do any damage. It's just a little, it's just a little bit. See, the problem with the foothold is it becomes a stronghold. Have you, guys, you guys should go check out. There's this cool movie on Netflix. It's called Free Solo. And if you, if you don't have Netflix, just take my word for it. Okay, this is, it's, this, it's this video on this guy. I forget the guy's name, but he climbs El Capitan, and he does it without ropes. He does, it, he does this, like this, this rock face that looks like straight up smooth. You, people can climb rocks when there's like, there's like jagged rocks sticking out. This thing is just like straight smooth. Nobody had ever been able to do it. And he does it without ropes. And it's, just, it's, his, it's his mission to try to climb this thing. And there's parts, and I'm not lying, there are parts of this climb where the rock sticks out one-eighth of an inch. Just one-eighth of an inch. And all, he's, he's sitting there, he's talking about the, the, the amount that he had to climb over the years he had to climb to get the strength. That if he could just just get just get a half of a fingertip on that was all he needed. he just got to get his, and then he had it and then he could climb up to the next one and the next one and the guy i mean i don't want to ruin the the, the movie for it. it's just a cool cool uh, adventure that he goes on but you would look at this sheer rock just i mean so far up in the air if he slips he's dead and yet he goes for it and, and it's, all he needed was just a crack like I, I would need like a like a stage. <laughs> like I need so much, and he could just just grab just a little thing. And when I saw that verse in Ephesians chapter four, don't give God, don't give the devil anything. Don't give the don't give the devil even the slightest little bit of room to grab on in your life because that allows him to advance to the next spot. And see, you and I are so yeah. Make some noise for that. You and I are so much like Balaam. We're so much like Balaam. We give territory to to the devil. Day in and day out because we compromise all over the place. That's not wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just flirting with it. I, I'm not going to watch porn. I'm not going to watch any porn. I'm just going to, I'm just going to watch this Netflix show that might have a little bit of nudity yet. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm just going to have a couple drinks to unwind. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get mean. I'm just going to lose my temper a little bit to express my anger. And, but I'll, I'll stop it there. I'm not going to steal from my boss. I'm just going to, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to have a, just a, I'm going to sh- just shave a few minutes here and there on my time card. See, we give a little compromise and we act as if though it's not this big deal. And Balaam's problem comes because he didn't say, I'm not for sale, go home. He said, spend the night. Let's think about it. See, 2 Timothy 2, 22 says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. A lot of people misinterpreted this and, he, and, and they're like, well, he's writing to Timothy. So he's, he's saying, because you're young, run from things. No, he's saying you can be a hundred years old if it's a youthful lust, meaning if it's something that a stupid young kid would do, don't do it. And you're like, well, is there stupid things that adults do? Yeah. Stupid old people do things that a stupid young kid would do. It's a youthful lust. Run away from it. Run away. Not hang out near it, but don't do it. It literally says flee. Go in the opposite direction. Get as far away. Do, some of you keep falling back into sin because of these small compromises. Well, it's, I'm not going to have an affair again, but I, I am, I am going to take that business trip with the coworker that I'm kind of attracted to. Why? 
Well, it's not a sin to take a, take a trip. No, it's not. But why are you flirting with something when you know that that's a stronghold for Satan to use in your life? Why would you give him an inch? Stop making these decisions that allow for you, these compromises that allow you to slip right back into things that you've, been, that, that you've probably spent a long time begging God to forgive you of and to help you with. And then you give, a, you give an inkling back. If you want to stop getting high, stop hanging out with the stupid friends that got you high in the first place. Like you made bad decisions with bad friends and you go hang out with them again. And then you wonder why? We, that applies to your relationships. If you don't want to be in a bad relationship, stop dating the wrong people. If you, want to, if you want to get out of debt, stop signing up for the newest credit card. I don't care how great the rewards are. You just keep giving footholds in these little, these little turnovers. And the Bible says run from that. See, what I, what I see here is that once you start entertaining the idea of sin, you will soon start excusing the commission of sin. When I start thinking about it, and I haven't done it yet, I just daydream about it a little bit. What would it be like if I did that? Remember how much fun it used to be when I did that? See, I'm just entertaining it. But as soon as I've, I've gotten my brain to entertain those things I shouldn't do, now all of a sudden I've set myself up that when I do it, I'll just start making excuses for it. Now let's move on in the story. Those guys are, you know, Balaam has the first sleepover, all right? There it is in the Bible, zombie party. That night... God came to Balaam and asked him, who are these men visiting you? Balaam said to God, well, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I'll be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, Hey, do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they've been blessed. Now, let me just clarify something for you for the rest of the story, because you're going you're gonna to have a reaction. Most of you will have the reaction I had. and be like, no, this isn't fair. You're gonna, you'll see in a minute. God didn't have to even do that. Balaam already knew the right answer. God did not have to do what God just did. And yet God in his mercy and his grace says, hey, Balaam, don't go with them. Don't curse the Israelites. And then he gives them the reason why, which he didn't have to do, because I've already blessed them. That should answer, if Balaam had any doubts, God nipped it in the bud. Can't be a whole lot more clear than don't go, don't curse, they're blessed. And we sit here listening to this message going, yeah, if I had a clear message from God not to do something, I would never do it. <laughs> See, <clears throat> Balaam goes and he asks for this because there's something broken in his heart. He, he didn't even need to ask God for this. He didn't need to ask God. But he did because he's kind of hoping there's a loophole that God will be like, yeah, I didn't cover that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Balaam knows what he's supposed to do and what he's not supposed to do. And God just went extra above and beyond. But and this is the thing. Jude, if you, if you read the New Testament, thousands and thousands and thousands of years after this takes place, 
Jude writes a letter to the local church and he tells them, you guys are drifting back into sin. And he uses the story of Balaam to talk to him. He says this in Jude chapter one, verse 11. He says, woe to the people that keep drifting back to sin. They've traveled in the way of Cain. Remember who Cain was? First murderer ever in the Bible. They're acting like somebody who would kill their own brother like Cain. Or they've abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam, who did it for what? For profit. Because Balaam loved a few extra coins in his pocket, he abandoned himself. That's what Jude is saying. Jude is referencing this going, a lot of times, you church member, you act like Balaam. Balaam forgot who it was that God created him to be, and he forgot because he got a few coins dangled in front of him. How many of us, don't raise your hand, have acted in a way that was not God's plan for us, not God's best for us, because we thought, maybe I'd maybe I get that raise. Maybe I'd get, a little, get another sale. Maybe I could just buy that toy for him. We started doing things, compromising, becoming people that we weren't designed to be, started chasing things, all because, man, something, got, something that sh- was shiny dangled in front of us. Jude says, watch out for that. And yet, Balaam kept going to God, and we'll see it again, it happens again, because he was hoping God would change his mind. And I, I have sat with enough people in counseling sessions and heard them do the same thing that Balaam does. Well, I'm just asking God, like, when, when is it going to be okay to do this? It's not. Well, God, why, why isn't my relationship with this person? Why, why don't I have peace about it? Because God said light and darkness have no, no, no job going together. You shouldn't be dating somebody who's unsaved. God is never going to tell you that's okay. You keep asking for God to change his mind, and he, he's like, no, like the rule is the rule. You see, when you keep asking God questions that he's already answered, you're, you're not actually looking for direction. You're fishing for permission. Anybody in here? Yeah, that one hurts because I'm like, I, uh, I, could, I don't even have to ask God for half the stupid stuff I ask God for. If I just read the Bible, I'd be like, yeah, that's a stupid thing. I don't need that. But I'm like, dear God, do you think maybe that it will be okay if I did this? I know I'm not supposed to. I'm just kind of hoping he'll be like, yeah, for you, Josh. Yeah. No. Why do we keep doing that? What's inside of us that keeps making us act like Balaam and going after things that we, we shouldn't go after? There's this desire. Now, his was for money, and yours may not be money, so don't get lost on that. There's this desire to have things that we think make us better, and so we try to supersede when God says, I've got a perfect plan for your life. We start going, no, what if my plan's better, God? Could you just sign off on my plan? If you, anybody in here has kids, you'd know what that's like. Oh, I do think I should have another cookie. Like, you don't need it, but I should have it. I think it, I think it would help me have more of an appetite. No, you ruin your dinner. No, it'll be the best thing for it. You're like, the more you ask, it's not like you're convincing me. I'm not like, oh, you know what? <laughs> that would be a good idea. It's just you fishing for a chance to, to, to excuse yourself to get away with it. So God comes and says, Obviously, no, Balaam. Obviously, no. So the next morning, Balaam, this is verse 13, got up and he told, now watch this. He got up and he told Balak's officials, go on home. The Lord will not let me go with you. You could almost see this, right? God won't let me go with you guys. 
My mom said, I can't come out and play. You guys go home. That's li- I could almost see him pouting. Nah, just go. So the Moabite officials returned to the king, Balak, and reported, Balaam refused to come with us. <clears throat> they, they go away, just like, you know, no, that should be the end of the story, right? Well, it's not. Before we move on, let me, let me remind you something real quick. We do the same thing Balaam does. He blamed God as if though God was the problem with the whole scenario. Know how you want me to curse those people? God won't let me because God's no fun. See, we have, we have a struggle, and I'm going to talk about this again in another series that's coming up. But we have, this, we have a struggle where when we don't want to have a tough conversation, we avoid the, the thing that needs to be said most. See, you should never make the truth the problem. The problem is the problem. Oh, well, God won't let me do it. Yeah, yeah. God says no. That's not the problem here, Balaam. The problem is you shouldn't try to be cursing God's people. This is not a good idea. The cursing of God's people is the problem, not God saying don't do it. You and your broken hearts, Moabites, out of fear and insecurity, trying to curse what God has blessed, and Balaam out of greed, trying to sell the gift that God has put on his life. That's the problem. But Balaam's like, the problem is God doesn't want us to have any fun. Now you would say, I don't do that. Yes, you do. People do it all the time. Why, why do you do have the things you do at work? Well, my boss says, I'm not supposed to steal from the company anymore. <laughs> Yeah. My manager says, be nice to the customers. Like, oh. yeah. Yes. How dare they? We do it all the time. We pass the buck because we don't want to deal with what, what really needs to be dealt with. This happens at church all the time. Pastor Josh says we have to do it this way. Yeah. How, how dare I? I get it. It's easy to say this isn't mine. I don't. It's not mine. It's not. This is not what I would do. So we blame it on somebody else. We blame our boss. We blame our teacher. We blame our coach. We love to pass pass it on, and it was, it's always God's fault. I'd be so much cooler if it wasn't for God. <laughs> we would have so much more fun. But it's got. We never deal with the issue. We never talk about the fact like, hey, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, Pastor Josh wants Harbor Church to have a level of excellence. Not perfection, because we're a bunch of dumpster fires and we'll never reach perfection. But I do value excellence. And I want our parking lot to be excellent. And I want our coffee to be excellent. I want our music to be excellent. As best as our abilities can be. Why? Because I want everybody to tell us how great we are? No. But because the mission of Harbor Church is to reach people who are far from God. And people who are far from God sometimes get distracted by not being able to have a parking spot or not knowing anybody when they walk in. So sometimes holding a cup of coffee gives them the freedom to just feel a little bit more comfortable. 
or I, I hold myself to it. I want every message I preach to be the best that I can do. Not so that Josh becomes famous, but so that if you are far from God, you can sit and listen to something and not be distracted because Satan loves to take anything that he can to distract you. He will take a cell phone ringing. He will take a baby crying. He will take the fact that somebody made your chair sticky in the service before you. And so now you don't, you know, it's like, nah, I just don't like being here. I can't solve every problem. I know I can't. But if I say, hey, you know what? We need to wipe down these chairs. You shouldn't go, Pastor Josh says, we have to wipe down the chairs. You should go, man, I understand the bigger point of we don't want a distraction from somebody for somebody who's far from God. So I'm choosing to do this and not blame it on somebody. I'm choosing to do the right thing. Balaam says, hey, it's God's fault that I can't do it. No, that's not the problem. You see, maturity works from a place of conviction not from commands. See, when I reach, when I reach maturity, I'm doing it because I'm convicted to do it. The inverse means if you want to stay at a place of immaturity, then do it because God commanded you to do it. I'm loving my neighbor because God said I had to do it. This whole thing, love God. Yeah, okay. If, if all you can do is the base level of immaturity operate because it's a command in the Bible, fine. But as you grow in your maturity, you don't give because you have to. You give because you get to. You don't love because, man, it's a rule. I have to love. You love because in maturity, you realize that God loved you and you never did anything to earn that. So it's the least you can do to love somebody else. Do you understand the difference? Like we don't, Harbor doesn't need to be a group of people being like, I'm nice to you because I heard a message that I have to be nice to you. I read a Bible verse. If that's all you can do, okay, start there. But just know that's immaturity. That doesn't make you this great Christian, this great man of God. It makes you the bottom level of a follower. Do, get to a place where it's a conviction on your heart. All right, so he moves on. The, they return. They said, hey, Balaam's, Balaam's not going to do it, boss. So <clears throat> then in verse 15, Balak tried again. This time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than the ones that had gone before. Even more guys. The, some versions call them princes of Moab. He's, he's ratcheting it up, sending some celebrities this time with more money. They went to Balaam and they delivered this message to him. This is what Balak, the son of Zippor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. Hmm. What happened there? Balaam compromised his morals and the problem went away. No. He left the door open. He gave them a, a foothold in his life. And then they came back with an even bigger temptation. You see, compromise never weakens the temptation. It only fuels it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, you know, I'm, I said I wasn't going to drink anymore, but I'll keep that bottle out in the garage and the in the drawer tucked away for, you know, rainy day. That's a compromise. And the temptation didn't get less. I'm just going to give in a little bit and then in the, it'll go away. No, you're only fueling that. You make one shady deal at work. The next time a bigger sale comes up with more commission, you're not less likely, you're more likely. You sent that inappropriate text to that person you're not married to. And then they kind of responded a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, 
there's a more temptation to send an even less appropriate text. I feel like we, we live in a culture that tells us it's okay to flirt around with problems and flirt with sin because, you know, there's no real, there's, there's no real consequences. But if you, if you can take the blinders off for a second, you can see how Satan has got his hooks in you. And you've, you've allowed yourself to believe that you're getting away with things and they're not really a problem for you. And, and in all reality, you are being consumed by something because you keep compromising your, your morals. You keep compromising your boundaries. You keep compromising the convictions that God's given you over your life. Well, I'm not going to become a gossip, but I am going to pray for them with this person. No. Like you, you can't you can't just go a little bit. It's 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 flee from youthful lust. It's it's don't give him anything. Why do we play around with it so much? <clears throat> they come back with the temptation. And so Balaam responds in verse 18. Balaam responded to Balak's messengers by saying, "Guys, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I'd be powerless to do anything against the will of my, the Lord my God. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything to say. We see a pattern here, right? You guys are with me, right? Like, we, we are Balaam. I love this. God, I, could, I couldn't do that. Not even if I had, like, let's say, a whole house filled with gold and silver. This is not him saying there's no way. This is him giving his price. I need you to understand the difference. Guys, there's no way. Nope. I could never do that. Not even say if you offered me a whole house full of gold and silver. <laughs> and they're all businessmen. They know what he's saying. They're like, we get it. Now, I will tell you, even in the midst of all of his greed, Balaam still gets it. He's like, truthfully, the prophecy part of my life, the, the supernatural part, I can't, I can't fabricate that. That comes from God. Now, I, I've been around long enough, and you've been around long enough. There are plenty of people who pretend to have a gift from God in order to make money. And that's why everything you see on TV and every miracle that you've watched happen on, on a channel somewhere late at night. Those aren't always from God. So I do believe that if the story doesn't go the way it goes, that Balaam just fakes it. Balaam's like, yeah, they don't know the difference if it comes from God or not. I'll just make a paycheck and say it comes from God. Now, that's not how the story plays out, but I feel like that's the character that Balaam has. But even in, but still in this moment, he knows that real prophecy, real power comes from God. He's like, I can't go against God. I mean, not even for a house filled with gold. <laughs> but stay, <clears throat> stay the night, guys. Stay the night. Now, why does he tell him to stay the night? Because he says, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to compromise, so spend the night. He doesn't say that. What's his excuse for having him spend the night? So, so that I can see what the Lord has to say about this. Man, doesn't that seem spiritual? Doesn't that just seem holy and righteous? He just, he just says the sweetest, most God-filled things, doesn't he? His vocabulary is just, man, it is so church person. 
I think a lot of us hide behind saying the right thing. I heard Andy Stanley say that he, somebody was coming up and saying, oh, I've got this thing going on. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll pray for you. And then he goes, I realized, this is Andy Stanley talking. He goes, I realized I'm making myself a liar. So he goes, I don't say that anymore. If somebody goes, he goes, hey, let me pray for you. Dear God, be with this situation. And he goes, he goes, because it, it just sounds right to say that, right? I'll pray for you. I'll be praying for you. God bless you, praying for you. I mean, it's flowery, right? But we're not doing that. Our hearts aren't in that. We have gotten in the habit, some of us, not all of us, but we've gotten in the habit of hiding our laziness or our greed or our selfishness behind Christianese words. See, you can use heavenly words but still have a hellish intention. You can be going after what you want and on the outside tell everybody how good you are. Oh, no, I'm doing it. I'm, man, I think this is what God has for me. I just, you know, I just really feel like God's giving me this job. Bull crap. You didn't pray about that job. You saw that paycheck. You started dreaming about all the things you were going to buy. It is not God's best for you, but you're going to tell everybody it's God's best so what, they can't say anything. Well, God told them they had to take that job. Okay. Blame God for whatever. Understand, just because you use heavenly words doesn't make it from God. I'm just telling you, be careful with your vocabulary. And I only say that because yeah, I'm convicted of it. Like, I, I'm like, be intentional about what, what you're saying. So what does God's answer the second time? Now, this is where it gets interesting. Let me see what God has to say, guys. Just take a nap. That night, verse 20, God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but, but do only what I tell you to do. Now, if you read this and you don't understand the context of what's happening here, you think that God is okay with Balaam doing this. That is not what's happening here. I told you guys a story a while ago about me wanting to pee on an electric fence, and my dad's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not a good idea, son. And eventually he's like, okay, go ahead. That's what's happening here. Is the father said, no, this is not right. He didn't have to say anything at all. It was already wrong. Balaam in his conscience knew it was wrong. Hence why he wanted to make him stick around the first time. And then God said, yeah, your conscience was right. This isn't a good idea. Don't go. Don't do it. I've blessed him. And then Balaam's like, well, let me just go back and ask again. None of us would ever do that. None of us would ever go and continue to ask God for permission to do something we know we shouldn't do. And this is the part where God, not because he wants Balaam to do it, but because God is, a, is in his mercy and grace, he allows us to do stupid stuff because he wants us to have the free will to choose to do the right thing. Because when we, in that free will, choose to love him, choose to invite him into our life, when you make the decision to invite Jesus Christ in as your Lord and Savior, that's a beautiful thing. If God made you do it, if God made everything happen, then none of this would be, none of this would be uh, a way for Balaam to actually grow in his journey, and, and we could learn from it. So God is basically saying, fine, you're just going to keep asking. You're going to do it. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's not, this is my best for you. It's him saying, I recognize you're going to do it. I'm not going to stop you from doing it. By the way, that is what God is saying to you and I almost every day. 
you already know I don't want you to act this way. You already know I don't want you watching that, talking like that, giving into that, being with that person. You already know I don't want this in your life. And so he's already made it clear. Your conscience tells you that. God's word tells you that. And yet you keep like, go ahead. Go ahead. But my best isn't in it. That is a scary thing. You see, when God was saying no, it was, him, it was God protecting Balaam. When God allows it to happen, it's because God's getting ready to punish Balaam. So I, I wrote it down. Sometimes God says no for my protection, and sometimes he says yes for my punishment. So the more I'm like, God, why won't you just say yes? Just say yes. Maybe I need to be like, God, thank you for saying no. Give me the strength to not do it. Because getting a yes isn't necessarily what I want or need. I just think it is. See, this is the problem with Balaam. He was so wrapped up. Second Peter, Peter writes this once again, a New Testament lesson thousands of years after the story of Balaam takes place. Peter describes it this way. They've wandered off the road and followed the footsteps of Balaam. He's talking about uh, people who claim to be Christians who are not acting the way Christians are supposed to act. They followed the footsteps of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. Balaam, Balaam sets for us a pattern of doing wrong all because of his pursuit of simple money again. Now, this isn't a message on anti-money. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. If you love anything more than you love God, it's going to lead you down the path of Balaam. A lot of us can identify with Balaam because we want that bling bling. But it might not be about money for you. It might be about love or popularity or comfort of some kind. Fill in the blank. The verse goes on and it tells us what happens in the rest of the story. Balaam was stopped from his mad course. This is the next verse in 2 Peter. When his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. You're like, what? That's the rest of the story. And watch this. This is, where, this is where it gets really interesting. If you go back to the story, it says, The next morning, Balaam got up and he saddled his donkey and he started off with the Moabites, the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey is the only one who can see this angel. The donkey bolts off the road into a field, but Balaam beats the donkey to turn it back onto the road. Then a little bit further down, the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two different vineyard walls. And when the donkey saw that the angel saw the angel of the Lord, he tried to squeeze by the angel of the Lord, and he crushed Balaam's foot against that wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road, and he stood in a place that was too narrow for the donkey to get by on either side. So this time the donkey saw the angel, and it lay down underneath Balaam. It just plopped on the road. And in a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. 
And I'm going to tell you the rest of the story here in a second. But I was watching this. This donkey, I, when I first, the, first time, the only time I've ever preached on this, I, I titled the message, When Your Best Friend's a Jackass. And I wasn't talking about the donkey. You know. That donkey is a better friend to Balaam than Balaam was to that donkey. The donkey is, is, simply sees something. The donkey has more spiritual insight than the man of God at this point. And what I, why I feel bad for this donkey is, man, he just gets beat down, and all he's trying to do is save Balaam's life. You know, sometimes, guys, people living in sin may not appreciate your help. This is made, they may not. Just know that. It doesn't mean you don't stop. It doesn't mean you stop trying to help people. It just means understand they may not, they may not appreciate it. He starts beating the donkey with his staff. In verse 28, it says, the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak, which is just such a random, crazy, cool thing. What have I done to you to deserve you beating me three times? I don't know how it sounded, but I just picture like that scene from Pinocchio where they're like half donkey. half. Like, what have I done that you beat me three times? It asked Balaam. It does not say Balaam loses his mind or freaks out. Balaam just gets mad at you. May you made me look like a fool. Balaam shouted. And nowhere does it say Balaam goes what? What the what? Balaam just goes. You made me look like a fool. Okay, let's just skip over the fact that your donkey, who has never talked to you before, is now talking to you. But notice what he says. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. Wow. Bro. Seriously? That's what you would act? This is a man of God. He gets one flat tire. Is that all it takes? See, if you haven't noticed, Balaam is the antithesis of all the people we've looked at. See, Moses... When we studied Moses, Moses would not go on. God said, go to the promised land. And Moses says, I won't leave here if you don't go with me. Balaam was ready to jump on the donkey as soon as God said, you can just go. It was not God's will. It was not God's best. But he was ready to go with or without God. He just wanted the freedom to go. See, when Esther, when Esther had the chance to save herself or save others, she self-sacrificed to save others. Balaam is self-preserving and willing to kill all the millions of Hebrews. See, Lydia leveraged her business and took everything about what God had given her and used it to build God's kingdom. Balaam was leveraging what God had given him and was using it to make his castle a little bit bigger. See, when, when Joseph was hurt by his brothers, he had an opportunity to hurt him back, and instead he says, I forgive you. Balaam gets his foot crushed, and he's ready to cut the head off of his donkey. See, Jairus, or Jairus realized this, this whole trip to save my daughter is going slower than I want it to go, but God's timing is, is more important than my timing. And Balaam is the kind of person who doesn't care. He's ready to go into literally dying. He doesn't know that it's about to happen, but he's just about ready to get killed. See, the way you react to setbacks 
that reveals who it is that you trust. If you're that angry person, you're Balaam. When you're forgiving, you're Joseph. Joseph trusted God, Balaam trusted himself. How you react when things don't go your way? Are you Balaam or are you any of the other characters we looked at? See, as much as I want to see myself and all the other hello my name is people, I keep finding myself in Balaam. The way I talk to my family members, the way I act at work, the way I react to the situations that God puts in my path. The end of the story says this. The donkey goes, hey, I'm the same donkey that you've ridden all your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? As long as you've owned me, boss, have I ever been like this before? (laughs) No, Balaam admitted. He loses an argument with the donkey. (laughs) The donkey out-argues him. Like, they have a back-and-forth battle of wits, and he's like, you make a good point. Uh, I concede. And it was in that moment that he's humiliated by this donkey. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with the drawn sword in his hand. And Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Now, just so you understand, if an angel is ever allowed to be worshipped, it's because it's the pre-incarnate Son of God. There's a lot of angels in the Old Testament. Only a couple times are they ever bowed down to Joshua meets one. There's one that appears in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Son of God. We call him Jesus because he's named Jesus in the New Testament, but before he has is incarnated with human flesh, when he appears in the Old Testament, this is the, the, the second part of the Trinity here. This is the Son of God coming out. This is, this is Jesus before he's named Jesus, if you will. The Son of God stands there and says, Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded, look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Fill in your name here. Now, three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. Is there a chance that the very thing in your life that you're so frustrated with is actually God putting something in your way to protect you? The thing that you're so mad about right now that's not going your way, what if that's God saving you from something so much worse? Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you're against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam went on with Balak's officials. You're going to have to read the story for yourself it's really cool it's two more chapters i don't have time but he doesn't curse the israelites he's he he gets it he finally gets it he ends up blessing them and it blows balak's mind he's like blessing them i paid you to curse them and and he keeps doing it over and over again it's 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 a it would make a great movie but here's what i here's what i see in this whole story god has to humble balaam to the place where he loses an argument to a donkey before he sees that he's the donkey. You see, voluntary humility is always better than forced humiliation. 
Balaam was pretty low on that day. Now, he, he ends the story by getting on his face before Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with you, it's a lot easier to admit I'm being stupid when you have to go through what Balaam went through. How much better would it have been before he ever told him to spend the night, he just said, God, I know this isn't the right thing. Forgive me for even entertaining selling my gifts. Or what if after he told him to spend the night, he said, God, forgive me that I was flirting with that sin and compromising. I know it's the wrong thing. I'm gone. He had, he had time and time and time again, Balaam had, Balaam had the opportunity to humble himself before God, ask for forgiveness for his greed, his deception, his compromises, but he doesn't do it. And it's only because of God's grace that he doesn't get his head chopped off. But he does get humiliated. Gets his foot crushed in a wall, loses an argument to a donkey, and then has to get down on the, in the dirt on his face, begging for forgiveness. God will find a way to humble you. But he offers us the opportunity to humble ourselves. Philippians 2 says that Jesus modeled for us humility when he took on the form of a slave and died on a cross for us. And because Jesus did that, you and I have the opportunity to humble ourselves as well. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand. And maybe in a moment of quiet, you and I can simply ask God to show us what it is he's been trying to show us. Show us something that we've been fighting against maybe. A humility that we're not willing to embrace. It would be better to humble ourselves right now than to face the humiliation of whatever it is that has to take place to bring us to our knees. We could just go there right now in this moment saying, God, you've modeled for me what humility looks like. Well, Pastor, I, I don't know that I can resist the, the sins like, like you're saying. He, he, just, he could have just turned away from them. You can. God says that he'll give you a way out of temptation. Your, your temptation may not be Balaam's, but you've got something you're struggling with right now. Something you give into that you shouldn't give into. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your head and close your eyes. And as I pray out loud, I'm going to ask you to have a prayer right where you're at. Maybe the prayer is to ask God to do something different in your life. Maybe the prayer is to ask God to show you the small compromises you've been making that you shouldn't have. Maybe the prayer for somebody, somebody on the sound of my voice, the prayer may need to be, God, come into my life and save me. The true act of humility is to recognize that you're not a good enough God to save yourself. So what if in this moment you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from all of your mistakes, all of your compromises, to give you not only a home in heaven, but to give you a clean start, a clean slate. As I pray out loud, would you pray quietly right where you're at and ask him to do that? 
or maybe just ask him to show you areas that you could do better. If you're already a believer, if you're already a Christian, if you've already invited Jesus Christ to live in your heart, what if you made today the day that you stopped living in immaturity? What if you made today the day that you're going to decide to follow after God for real, to get serious with God? To, to be the man or the woman that he's called you to be. I hope that that's a lesson that Balaam can teach all of us. As I pray, you pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the things that you show us, even in fun little stories in the Bible. God, thank you that you have patience for people who do dumb things. God, thank you for loving each and every one of us. God, I know that sometimes I, I make excuses for the times I disobey. God, I, I look for permission to, to do what I want instead of what you want. And Lord, I know there's people under the sound of my voice right now that do the same thing. Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us be more in tune with what it is you have for us. God, there's so many times that we we pursue in the middle of a day, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's the next day, but we pursue what we want instead of what you want, and we miss out on your best for us. God, I love that, that after, even after Balaam made all those mistakes, you still wanted to use him. God, I'm so thankful that you have more patience for us than we have for others. So God, I pray... Lord, for the person in this room who doesn't understand how much you love to use broken things. God, to, this message was kind of hard to hear in some of the ways that remind us of all the things we've screwed up. God, give that person comfort right now who needs to hear that you're not done with them. Let her know that she's got so much more that you want to do in her life. God, that he's got, he's got another chapter that you want to write. Lord, let him, let him feel that from your, your spirit tonight. Let them hold, hold that and, and lean into that. God, give them that truth that you're not done with them. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would walk out of here or go into tomorrow different than how we were today, different than how we walked into this room. God, let us be more like Christ because of our willingness to put our faith in you, to humble ourselves, to do what you want us to do and to see what it is that you have for us and not see what it is that we want for ourselves. God, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all of this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.